sorry, your, your value was down there. Um, so uh, we, right before we left, we were saying how we went to, we were going to uh, GP New Jersey, so we did end up doing that. Um, we're going to share our experience with that, but first, before that weekend happened, uh, shortly after our show two weeks ago, there was uh, some news that came off of the Magic, the Wizards uh, homepage, and they posted an article talking about how all um, GPs in 2018 are going to be run by Channel Fireball events, and um, basically they have a contract with them, and I think, what's the name of the other company, Sightline Games? Yeah, something like that. Something along those lines. Um, it's basically the, uh, the company that runs uh, all of the Pro Tours, so it's just uh, Channel Fireball teaming up with them. Yeah, um, so basically, hopefully that'll increase coverage a little bit. Um, my only concern is the, if there's no competition, it could cause problems with pricing. GPs are already kind of expensive, it was $75 to play in New Jersey. Uh, yeah, it was $75, and that was without a mat. That was without the play mat. It was $100 if you wanted the full package with the play mat, and you got like a deck box and stuff. They advertised you're supposed to get sleeves. I never got any sleeves. I don't know. The whole thing was kind of weird. But <laughs> um, I didn't even get a promo, so. You didn't get a promo? Oh, that's that's crazy. <laughs> um, not that it's worth anything. The projector is only $5, but. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting how Wizards is taking a different approach to GPs next year, as, as opposed to, um, Star City Games getting some, and TJ Collectibles getting some, and a lot of the times they did regional organizers based on different sort of parts of the world. Um, I know Star City Games made an announcement right after that saying how they um, were fine with the changes and they're just going to focus all their efforts on the SEG Tour, so you may see more competition between the, the SEG Tour and the GP circuit, so that may help price-wise, hopefully, uh, and once things get out of hand. But maybe. Uh, I don't think that, that there's going to be a huge issue with pricing. Uh, I mean, Channel Fireball has always been a little more expensive than normal, but they've, given, they've, they've done a good job. I think the issue with, uh, with GPs as they are was uh, we're still kind of in a loophole with, uh, with judges. Uh, people aren't really sure what the, the rate should be for, for judging, whether it should be like a, a wage or just a pack, uh, like pack, pack entry sort mm -hmm. of thing. speed along, yep. but at the same time, if they do end up paying judges an actual wage, the pricing will probably have to increase. Uh, yeah, for sure. I know it has been a problem with um, the dual judging thing for a while. Um, the big issue, I think, really is the problem that the, the judges want more with, than what they're getting because they have to pay to travel to the events. They're not compensated for that. So a lot of the times they either the, like, I know, I know Star City pays their judges, but it's like not a lot at all. And when they do, it's it's like maybe a hundred dollars a day or something stupid like that, which doesn't even come close to covering the cost of traveling to the event. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, we're just looking forward to hopefully see what Channel Fireball will do next year, and uh, hopefully uh, the GPs will be well run. Uh, I thought New Jersey was pretty well run. That was a Channel Fireball GP. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, all the Channel Fireball GPs that I've ever been to have been the most uh, sleek and well run. So hopefully we'll have a homogenized GP experience where one GP isn't that much different than the other just because of location and who's running it. Uh -huh. So that that's a positive thing I'm looking forward to is just a general GP improval. So um, as we said, we were at GP New Jersey almost two weeks ago now. Um, what did you think of it? How, 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 what was your experience like, Joe? Uh, I had a ton of fun. Um, You said you were on the four-color deck. I was playing Dynamo Power, as we had gone over before, and it went just as planned. I did terrible. <laughs> um, I ended up dropping like two or three, went and like one or two had a giant thing with my friend. That was fine, but um, 
for me, the main event was all right. I played against some... I, I didn't play against a meta deck until the round after I dropped. I played against Black Red Aggro. He drawn alignment combo. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, I played against Blue Red Spells, Blue Black Eldrazi, and then I played against Mardu and lost in a really close game, and I just dropped. Um, I, I think my experience was different because I had uh, I had three buys going into the tournament, yep. so I only played after round three. I only played people who had not lost. Yeah, that makes sense. Until round seven, so uh, playing the top decks after being undefeated is very, very likely, especially in such a closed format. And I think a lot of the time that helps, especially in a format like this where most of the decks are built toward beating the two main decks or three main decks or whatever you may, you know, whatever the format is. And then if you don't have buys, you go into it and then you play against some not meta deck and then it's a bad matchup and you lose. And then you play against another one and maybe you, maybe you get by, but you're still in the loser's bracket. So it just it doesn't end up working out very well. And the deck I was playing was very much catered to beating very specific decks, and I, you know, I just can't beat Black Red Aggro that's just attacking me for 10 on turn 3 or something stupid. Yeah, for sure. The Tumor deck is definitely just a, a metagame call. Yeah. And uh, definitely didn't work as well as, as we hoped. But, uh, I mean, I kind of called it. So. <laughs> oh, you definitely did. You definitely did. Um, but at the same time, it won a GP. It did, it did so. win a GP, and we will get to that as well. Um, that, that deck doesn't seem very good, though. I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, oh, I did, I, did, uh, I did get to play against the person in eighth place after this was mm -hmm. a young kid named Kyle Moran. He was a senior in high school, I think. Wow. Drove five or six hours to, uh, to New Jersey and just crushed it. Yeah, when I was a senior in high school, I was barely driving 10 minutes to Magic tournaments. I don't know. Like, that's crazy if you have the opportunity to do that. Um, but good for him. And uh, the rest of the top eight was actually kind of stacked. Um, some names, uh, Corey Baumeister won the tournament, and uh, some other big names are Ben Friedman, Paul Rietzel, Ben Stark, Jarvis Yu, Brandon Ayers. They were all in the top eight of the event. Um, so it was a pretty stacked top eight. Yeah, the, uh, the larger the tournament is, the more likely that the top eight is just going to be filled with pros because yeah, the cream they're, rises. They're, they're pro for a reason. Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. So, um, back to the Hedron alignment thing. Uh, so, I sit down round two. I came off losing to a black red aggro deck. The, the guy didn't really know what he was doing. It was just, he just kind of played all his things and I lost. Yeah, so he, he still crushed you even though he didn't know what he Oh, yeah, that happens. That happens. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, to be fair, I don't think I really knew what I was doing either. Um, so game round two, I sit down, and my opponent's like, I thought he was going to blue-black control. He just plays, like, Sunken Hollows and stuff. He's passing the turn. Um, I, like, glimmered on turn four, and he disallowed it. And then the next turn, we, like, just played lands and passed. And I end step, he cast Catalog. I was like, what is going on right now? And he discards a Hedron alignment, and I'm like, oh, no. Um, then he untaps and casts Secret Salvage, exiles the Hedron alignment, and go get three more, and then I die the next turn. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, like, I was just like, okay, I just lost to that, I can't, I can't lose the match to this because I'll never be able to live that down. Um, added pressure, I won the next game, he just kind of didn't find the combo, I countered his Secret Salvage. I basically just boarded in a bunch of counter spells and countered his Secret Salvage, it's not that hard to beat. Um, added pressure though, game three, Joe walks by and sits down next to me <laughs> and sees that I'm about to lose the Hedron alignment. And the guy assembles the combo. He's at uh, some amount of life. He's at a pretty low life total. Got a Donovan Tower on board. And if he didn't win the next turn, I would have won afterwards. I don't remember exactly what the scenario was, but yeah. I cast Anticipate at the end step and found my options where I had to find a disallow to counter the trigger or I had to find a shock, and then I found both. So that worked out pretty well. And I ended up winning that match, but if I lost the Hedron alignment, I would have never lived it down. And I'd probably not be playing Magic anymore. It would be really bad. Um, <laughs> I, I had my fingers crossed for your opponent the entire time. <laughs> I'm sure you did. 100%. It's not, it's not that I had anything against you. I just I really wanted to see that deck win. Yeah, I would have run in the car and drove home. <laughs> it just would have been so bad. Um, yeah, that was the GP. Um, congrats to you, Joe, for making day two and having a, a deep run. He's the only person from Plattsburgh that... Uh, did that, or what, maybe eight of us there? Nine of us? Yeah, there was probably close to ten of us, I yeah. think. Oh, yeah, yeah, there were. Um, so, big showing from Blattsburg, but 
he was the only one that really represented it at all. <laughs> yep. Just didn't didn't get there. Didn't get there at the end. But that's all right. Yes. It's a great experience. It's always fun to play against people who are better than you. Yeah, it's for sure. And any kind of game is that's the only way to improve. So yeah. Um. So then after the GP, uh, I went home. It was spring break, so we didn't have a show on one on Wednesday. But this the Friday after that, uh, Modern Masters 2017 was released. So. We went over this last show. It's a high-value set. There's a lot of expensive cards in it, and there's also um, it's also catered to be a draft format. Yeah, it's like all the masters and uh, no, they were all master sets. They're designed solely for the purpose of drafting. The boxes contain 24 packs as opposed to the, the normal exactly amount. that you need for an eight-person pod. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I drafted on Friday night. You haven't drafted at all yet. I, I haven't gotten to draft it. Uh, I'm probably going to end up drafting it this weekend in Burlington. But uh, I have no experience with the format, so I'm just going to sit back and let you tell me how to how to crush. Um, well, I, I don't necessarily know how to crush. I know how to get really lucky. Um, so hey, that's half the battle. I drafted Friday night on release night at my local shop back home in, in Saratoga. Um, and... I was kind of drafting like black, red aggro. I was drafting like spike jesters and a bunch of bad cards. My deck was not looking good. And then I opened pack two. Oh, wait, oh, go back. Pack one, I picked up Torn of Souls, like a one of. And what it does is it's five mana. Um, it's it's a high, it's four and a hybrid black, red. And then if you cast, if you use red mana to cast it, um, or if you use black mana to cast it, you can reanimate a spell from your creature from your graveyard. And if you use red mana to cast it, all your creatures get plus two, plus zero in haste. And if you use both, then both those things happen. Um, pack two, I open my pack, and I'm staring at a Grizzlebrand. And I'm like, I already have a Torn of Souls, so I can totally play with Grizzlebrand Reanimator and just like discard it the hand size. So I did, because, I mean, the Grizzlebrand was like $10 anyway. I thought it wasn't going to pass. I had to try to pay for my draft. Yeah, you only um, live once, right? Right? So I was like, oh, this will be fine. Um, so I take that. You pass two more Torn of Souls. So we were in. <laughs> Then I started flashing blue for confirmed suspicions. Or not confirmed suspicions, that's the counter spell. Um, the blue draw two discard, or draw three discard two unless you discard a land. Uh, the name is escaping me. Doesn't matter. Three mana, draw three, discard two unless you discard a land card. It's a blue like, draw spell. Um, so I drafted a couple of those, and um, basically just kind of the game plan was. Oh, compulsive research. Compulsive research, right, that yeah, is. There we go. <laughs> It was bothering me. I wasn't able to keep talking until I figured it out. Um, I could have told you what set it was from, what the exchange yeah. symbol looked like. Just could not figure out. Get the name, yeah. Um, so yeah, I just had gone down the plan of casting like dragon fodders to block my way until I uh, reanimated the Grizzle Brand, and it worked. Um, Grizzle Brand's a, a heck of a magic card. I mean, I had all these aggro pieces, so my deck was kind of this weird mishmash of either kill your opponent really quickly or reanimate Grizzle Brand. So like. Um, my first match, I sat down and I played. We kind of were playing like fair game. We're just he's playing like blue white blink, and we exchanged things for a little bit. And then uh, <laughs> I drew my grizzle brand and I had five, six cards in hand. And I was like, well, I don't have a way to get this in my graveyard. And I had the torn of souls in my hand as well. I was like, I don't have a way to get this in my graveyard. So I was like, if I take two turns off and just don't do anything, <laughs> block block into oblivion, then discard it, reanimate it, I can win this game. So I do. And it works. It resolves. It, it comes into play. And then he, what's the two mana blue white spell? It's an instant. It exiles a creature, and then you draw a card equal to that creature's power. And then it comes back into play next upkeep, and they discard that many cards. I can't remember what it's called right now. Uh, uh, I know what the distant card is. memory. Dis yeah, that, that sounds. That sounds right. I think it was distant memory. Basically, he exiled my creature, drew seven cards, but then. It, so Grizzlebrand was in exile, but at my next upkeep it came back into play, and he had to discard seven cards. So he really didn't, he was like, cast it, tapped out for it basically, and then had to discard his hand. It was kind of a loose play. So I ended up with a Grizzlebrand, he had no hand, and then I just won. Um, game two was pretty much the same thing. I compulsive research it into my graveyard, and then won. Um, round two, I didn't cast Grizzlebrand once. It just kind of aggroed my opponent out. And then round three, the final, um, I actually did not win the match. My we exchanged games. Game one, my opponent rolled like four, and it was just kind of I just played all my creatures. Game two, um, I cast a Grizzle Brand. I had Grizzle Brand in play, and he top decked the five man or the five five damage or miracle spell. 
and I lost. Not very smart. Yeah, I was up like four and lost. So that was no good. Um, and then game three, I will get to five and didn't get there. But I mean, the deck is pretty sweet. So that was that format. Um, so, so you're saying that the secret to success is draft Grizzlebrand, open Grizzlebrand, open Grizzlebrand, and pick it oh, every time. Every time. You, know, you could AP factor. You could be in tokens, and you need to take Grizzlebrand. <laughs> Flash black and hard cast it. Of course. Um, and then Saturday I drafted again, and um, I had kind of a feel for the format, even though I wasn't playing necessarily one of the actual draft archetypes. I just kind of played this mishmash deck because I got a bomb that I could just build my deck around. Yeah, and I'm um, sure playing against people, you got to see no, kind yeah, of yeah, what the extent the, of the format was. Yeah, I got to see kind of what you could actually do with the format. And then I was kind of on a more normal deck. Um, it was, I, I drafted like green white tokens and drafted three copies of Wavering Souls. Whoa. <laughs> so Splash Black for the flashback on that and for Sin Collector. Did you use Splash Black for your Grizzlebrand that you opened factory? I wish. <laughs> and gas. Um, no Grizzlebrand, but my deck was pretty sweet. Um, Game one against my buddy Tyler O'Brien. Um, he, <laughs> we like, I, I played turn three, Lingering Souls, turn four, Lingering Souls, turn five, flashback to Lingering Souls. <laughs> so that was that game. He was not happy with that. Um, That's fair. And then, like, I don't know, I just kind of, all my games were kind of just standard games, just populating a bunch of 1 1 tokens or uh, top decking slime molding the perfect time, you know, that type of thing. The deck was fine. I ended up two and one. I lost in the finals again. I'm really, I'm really good at doing that. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then um, that's pretty much the format. It's kind of just it, it, my deck felt like constructed decks most of the time. To be honest, like just kind of weak constructed decks that you built out of a box of cards or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. The uh, I think the the theme for the master sets is that you want to build a constructed deck. You want to yeah. take a theme and run with it. You don't want just a pile of good cards like you would in a, in a normal draft set. So, I think the the ceiling is higher in the, in the set, but the floor is also higher because of the power level of all the cards. Yeah, I did see that um, in my pod on Saturday, two people next to each other tried to draft the same exact archetype, and both of their decks ended up terrible. So, yeah, like, if you good. don't get all the pieces for your archetype, then the decks fall really flat. And it's really hard to win games with, but if you just stay, if you pick a lane and stay in it and kind of just draft, just draft your strategy, whatever strategy is open, really, um, as long as no one else is in that strategy, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's just a common draft theme is make sure that whatever you're yeah. in is open and don't get cut. So. Yeah. It's less about bombs and more about, like, your deck synergizing, I felt. Yeah, for sure. Um, another cool thing that happened on Saturday was. My prize packs, I opened, my, I got four prize packs from the second place, and I opened a Scalding card in the last pack, and then I was like, ah, you know what, I'm going to buy another pack and open another Scalding card from a different box. So, my Saturday went pretty well. Um, so, yeah. you spent? I spent $30 to draft, and then made like $100, uh, well, plus the other cards, I made like 100 bucks or something. I got a foil draft digger's cage in my draft, too. Jeez. Just took it because it was pretty. <laughs> that was my pack one pick one, actually. It was pretty sweet. Um, not as good as Grizzlebrand. I'm no, I'm sure not, you did not play it. I did not play it in my deck. I did not. It was not that good. Um, yeah. Uh, so then we saw Dynavolt Tower take down a GP this weekend, which is... I, <laughs> I wasn't following the GPs at all, and then I got a text Sunday night that Dynavolt Tower won GP, and then I went back and watched like all of day two <laughs> just, to, just to see Dynavolt Tower win a GP. Um, it was GP Porto Alegre in Brazil. The top eight's fairly uh, fairly standard for the format. There's three four color Sahili decks, a couple Mardu Vehicles decks, two different black green decks, and then and then a tower. The, the black green decks surprised me, but I guess there's there's always room for one or two, I guess, in the top eight. But it, it just really doesn't seem like you have an edge against any of the decks right now. Yeah, I mean, supposedly like like Warning Ballista is a really good card. But I just don't think the rest of the shell is good enough to... I, I just think it's better in the Mardu shell who are playing the Mardu Ballista deck. Um, the second place deck in this event was only playing two Mardu, or two Walking Ballista main board, um, and then two veteran owners to kind of split it, which I thought was kind of odd. That is weird. I feel like one of the reasons to play Ballista over Motorist is that you don't need red so early in your mana base. Yeah. But I actually haven't looked at the list. Are there any other uh, any other red spells in the main 
one shot. And is it is it playing the the great mix of three fatal push one shot? Yeah, which is weird too. That is very strange. Um, yeah, in the sideboard it's just kind of that same blocker package with Chandra and also Chandra and Juliana. Yeah, the, and I think the the Mardu decks just got so much better in general once they added Archangel Avicen. I played against Archangel Avicen. I can't even count how many times at the Grand Prix, and it just it destroys me every time. Yeah, um, I think for a while, for it's, it's good right now too because it's not necessarily playing all the decks, so you probably weren't playing around it, which is a big thing. And all of a sudden, they just kind of crush you with Avicen, and you lose. Um, well, the, the the thing was that they could pass with five mana, mm -hmm. and I couldn't go for the combo because I was I was playing around removal. Yeah, and then they would just. And step flash and Avacyn kill your Steely. <laughs> yeah, or they would end step play Avacyn and then play Ballista for zero and kill my entire Oh board. no, that sounds really good actually. It was it was pretty brutal. Yeah, it sounds brutal. Um, the tower deck that won GP Porto Allegro, oh, I lost it. Uh, it was playing three copies of Cobweb Return in the main deck. I'm not sure. So that definitely seems like it's gunning for Mardu. For sure. But at the same time, I'm not sure what Cobblex Return gives you in the matchup that you didn't already have. I mean, un unless I'm mistaken, there isn't a way for it to be quote-unquote flashed back from the graveyard into no, the deck. No, it has to be an Eldrazi creature spell stuff in the graveyard. Yeah, so the, the two damage to all creatures doesn't seem that great in this format. Everything kind of has three toughness. Yeah. Um, like, I think the, the big point is it's really good against Mardu because it exiles Scrappy Scrounger, but... It doesn't exile. Uh, it just does two damage to each creature. Huh. For some reason, I was under the impression that... Oh, that's weird. I always thought Goblet's Return exiles creatures, but you're right. Nope. It doesn't do that. Cast, cast that card a lot so in last format. I don't know why you would play... Cosmos Return over Radiant Flames. I understand it's instant speed, but if you're going to play a removal spell, or a, bo a board removal spell, I feel like... Well, I, I would argue that it's... that the first Cosmos Return is probably better than the first Radiant Flames, just because having a, a sorcery in your deck that is all instants seems kind of suspect. True. That's true. Um, the other consideration, I guess, is that Cosmos Return can be flashbacked with uh, Torrential Gear Hole. Yep. Which makes it better, but again, I don't know how many threats you're actually killing with Cobblex Return. It just it doesn't seem like it's that many. Yeah, I definitely not a fan of three Cobblex Return main deck. I was playing one Radiant Flames main deck this weekend, which was fine for me. Um, if I could make it a Cobblex Return, I don't know how I feel about it. I just think I think Radiant Flames is better, but if you have more than one, like it's it's just kind of it's. Not good if you're playing. Your whole point of your deck is to flashback it since the torrential gear hole. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, the deck is definitely weird. He's also playing um, only one anticipate, which I thought was kind of odd. Like if you're gonna play it, just play like three or four, or just don't play any. I don't know. One just seems like a really weird number. Well, it, it's in a weird spot because we kind of agreed at some point last season that anticipate was a three of, and no one's really tried to tweak that number. Yeah. So. I do think it's a card that has some some variability in in the numbers. Uh, did he add a land or anything? Is it no, more? It's been playing 22 lands. It's playing 22 lands, which it's been playing, which I think is four four tune. Yeah, four tune. So, so 26 effectively. 26 ish. 20. It's been really like 24, 25 lands. I think the deck should play 23 lands, just because if you don't have draws with a tune in them, you don't draw your lands, you don't get the 6 mana, which was something I ran into a lot. Um, but I guess the whole point of the deck is so you don't have to play a bunch of lands in your deck. So it's a weird balance, like I just feel like maybe the deck needs one more land, and maybe that Anticipate is something that needs to be prepped for it, but I'm not sure. Um, it's possible. I, I can also see adding more Anticipates to kind of have a, a split card of a land and a spell. That's true. I think it's a, it's a concept that's been running so many events. Mm -hmm. um, I do understand cutting Anticipate if you expect a field of just Mardu. Yeah, because you're you just spinning your wheel. Yeah, you, yeah you don't have the time. So it, in that regard, it makes sense cutting uh, do-nothing spells for a sort of board sweeper in the Cosmic's Return. Mm -hmm. My 
design issues, but it doesn't even kill the vehicles. It doesn't affect, it doesn't interact with Gideon. The cyborg plan for Mardu is to board in planeswalkers. So the Cosmos Return of the Main Deck just seems super suspect to me going forward. It might have been the right choice for this specific tournament, but I wouldn't play this list if I was going to pick up Tower. Yeah. My suggestion to anyone listening is just don't pick up Tower, period. I don't think the deck's very good. I'm just going to play it for this week, maybe next week, but when the set comes out in like a month and a half-ish. I think it's the end of April. So about a month, really. The format's going to change. Things are going to be a lot different. So until then, I may just end up on Tower. I don't know. Building a new deck right now seems like a lot of work. I'm probably just going to play Modern and hang out and do whatever. So we're going to take just a quick break, and we'll be back in a few moments. Before the ban list was announced, 
Four Colors Tahili won both Grand Prix that weekend. Yep, the top eight of both those Grand Prix. The, the top four of both Grand Prix were all Tahili. Yeah, um, it was kind of absurd. The top eights were like, I think New Jersey was four Tahili, three Mardu, and then one like Jun's random deck. Yeah, and then the top eight of the other one that weekend was four and four, four Tahili, yep. four Mardu. So Straight down the middle. <laughs> <laughs> it was just not a healthy format, and everyone was like, yeah, you need to ban some cards. But Yeah, they had kind of already made their decision, so... It was, it was very strange, very, very strange. Yeah. Um, I think another problem, or another reason they gave was that um, after this past weekend, um, Porto Alegre and Gibbo was in Japan somewhere. Uh, um, Shibu, Shibuka, I think? I think, I think that's how it's pronounced, yeah. Um, after that, there's, there's no um, standard Grand Prix yeah, there, until the no, next event comes there's out. There's no large event for standard until Amentet releases. Yeah, I think there may be an SCG event, but Wizards doesn't care about those. So, um, like, the format just kind of is what it is, basically, but I still think they need to demand cards. Like, it, it reduces, if they want people to show up to FNM, they're not going to want to play formats like this. That yeah, the, the issue is kind of, it, it's developmental in that it's the, it's not the product of specific cards. It's the, it's the issue of Wizards has been printing more and more powerful specific spells, mm -hmm. and they've cut back on answers to those spells. Gideon wouldn't be such an issue in standard if we had a solid planeswalker removal spell. Yeah. And if we had solid instant speed interaction, the Sahili combo wouldn't be as big of a deal. So it's really hard for me to think that banning one or two cards from the format would make it better. I honestly believe it probably needed to ban eight to ten cards in this format yeah. to make it even remotely diverse. And at that point, I think it's just better to try and fix it with the next set, hope that they've printed some catch-all answers, some more powerful spells to mm -hmm. handle that sort of thing. Um, and and that's, that's sort of where I'm at in the decision. It was really strange for me because even at the Grand Prix, there were vendors buying cards that they expected to be banned mm -hmm. for a, a fairly high price comparatively. And I'm sure they made out like bandits. Oh yeah, I, I think they kind of, they can't, if you don't know what's gonna happen, they're gonna have to keep buying at what they're buying at and hope they don't get hosed. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and if, sure. Cause people are gonna wanna sell those cards, they're gonna sell them in numbers and then things don't get banned, and people need to buy those Tahili minions again. Yep. So, that, that was kind of the thought. So, Highway I, robbery. I also made <laughs> out like a bandit because I bought the, the last pieces of Tahili uh, that I needed foil that because they were selling it for really cheap. Everyone thought it was getting banned. That would have felt really bad if they had got banned. Um, so, I, uh, I had a good weekend that weekend. Yeah, it, that weekend was definitely a lot of fun. I ended up playing the double up on Sunday, it was just not a good weekend for me. I 0-3 dropped from the double up, and then I went and drafted the worst draft deck I've drafted in this format, hands down. <laughs> so my Sunday was really bad. I had one, me and um, one of my buddies went, we went 3-1 and one in the two-headed giant thing on Saturday night, which was cool. Um, we got like almost a box each, which was all right, but paid for our entry. But like that's the only good thing that happened to me that weekend, and I got this sweet hat I'm wearing <laughs> for a dollar. <laughs> I like how you pointed at the hat, like people can see it. Well, I was pointing at the hat to you. Um, uh, radio yeah. hasn't evolved that much. Not yet. Not yet. Not, yet. Not on TV. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um, but yeah, the format just kind of in a really weird spot right now. I don't know. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be counter counterintuitive. I really enjoy this format. The the deck diversity is pretty boring. You can pretty much only play one of the three decks, Mardu, Four Color, or Tower. Tower being a pretty distant third. Yeah. But the games are all so skill dependent. Sideboarding matters uh, probably the most in standard for the first time in five or six years. And being on the play versus the draw matters a lot. Yeah. So all the games sort of play out differently. And it's really, really interesting for me to just kind of map out where I think these games are going. So I've actually been enjoying this format. Uh, 
weekend. And I played basically my list from Grand Prix, New Jersey, with a few small changes. And I played against all of the top decks, but again, none of the games were similar to games that I played at the Grand Prix. So even though you're sort of playing the same the same sort of decks... It always plays out differently. Yeah, they, they always play out differently. Are you still playing um, Heart of Fear in your main deck? Uh, no, I cut, I cut the Heart of Fearns uh, just because I couldn't uh, hit them off of Oath of Nyssa, which came up a couple times during the Grand Prix, where I keep a, a land heavy hand and then a couple oaths and then have to and put a, an Oath of Nyssa on the bottom. Oh, no. <laughs> Felt really bad, so yeah. I made that change. Um, but Oath, uh, Heart of Fearn killed a lot of Gideons for me that tournament, so I, I'm not sure it was the correct thing to cut them, but... It is what it is. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a powerful card, and like you said, it does line up really well against Gideon. So yeah, for sure. Um, I also picked it up. I also picked up foils of those for really cheap because again, another card people thought that they were going to get banned. Uh, yeah, I could. I was with Andy, and we were. Um, but sorry, if you don't know who Andy is, just one of our buddies. Um, we were signing up for the double up on Sunday, and we're in line, and the guy behind us like taps me on the shoulder, and he goes, he like whispers to me, and he's like. You need to sell your Gideons and your Sahelis. It just got leaked. Or I, I just I have inside information from Wizards. They're getting banned. And me and Andy just kind of looked at each other like, all right, <laughs> like whatever. But apparently, um, then I went. I like looked it up to see if anything like actually was like leaked online. And nothing got leaked. But Gideons tanked hard on Magic Online. They went from like twenty eight tickets or something absurd to like ten. Yeah, they were really close to thirty, and then they were under ten. Um, that day, it was just a very sudden shift. I think that was why everyone panicked about the Gideon thing, too. It, I think it was just like, people just thought they were going to get banned in a tank. I don't think it had any. Yeah, answer. yeah, you, you can't just trust some guy who taps you on the shoulder. No, I definitely And, and screams, the world is ending. Yeah, I had already sold my Gideons a couple weeks ago anyway, so I'm totally off that right now. I'm just not, I don't want to play aggressive decks anymore. I've been doing that for the past, like, two years. I'm kind of over it. That's, I, I always find that interesting, too. Like, a lot of the times, I feel like... I know it's... Uh, Mardu and, like, the Red-White Vehicles deck from the last format, a lot of the times they feel like you're kind of goldfishing, especially in the mirror. You're not. It's a super interactive matchup. It's super complex. But I, there were some games where I just felt like it was completely out of reach and there was nothing I could do about it. And, like, if your draw just doesn't come together, sometimes it just falls apart. Where I felt like a lot of the times playing, like, the tower deck or playing... Um, I was playtesting the Sahili deck a little bit, and it felt like your games had much more consistency. You had more options. You had more options, and it was you more, consistency. more consistency. Yeah, sure. um, your draws weren't just like falling apart with like a removal spell or some sort of some sort of disruption, you know. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. There's there's a really great quote um, by by a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure who it was specifically, but it, it basically it's playing an aggro deck to the best of its ability, you need to put in 75% of the work. Playing a control deck to the best of your ability, you need to put in 100% of your your ability for, for, the, yeah. for the deck to work at, at its highest. But the, the people who work at the aggro decks more basically have a, it's a higher ceiling in general. It's dependent on the format, but basically it's saying anyone can play an aggro deck to about 50% uh -huh. win rate, but it's the really, really good players that get it to 75, 80%, and it's way harder to do that with an aggro deck than it is to do with a control deck. Uh, yeah, I, for a while, I was really big on playing Burn and Modern, and I know Anthony Lowry, he doesn't, I don't think he plays that much anymore, but he was on the pro server for a few years. And he had written an article about just playing Burn in general and how it it's the easiest deck to pick up and play, but at the same time, but it's, the it's, it's the hardest, the hardest deck, deck to play 100%. Yeah, yeah um, people make that argument when they're talking about affinity at the same time. Yeah, it's a lot of the aggressive decks, it's just how yeah, it is. It's, it's just an easy deck to pick up and play at your first tournament, but to be at 100% have a chance to win, you really have to work at it. I felt that actually really hard. I was at like my first PTQ I played it. It was the old system, and the I, I was playing Affinity. I had borrowed it from one of my buddies, and I started doing really well. I was like four and L, five and L, something like that. And it was my first. It was like my first competitive Magic tournament. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was just playing all my things and winning games. 
and then my opponent played a spell skite and I had a cranial plating in play and never equipped it because I didn't know he could redirect it. Like, I mean, that's more of me just not knowing the rules, but at the same time, like, it kind of shows, like, you can just kind of play a deck, uh, an aggro deck, and do well with it for a while and get lucky. Yeah, like, for sure, without fully understanding, like, all of the interactions for the format and that sort of thing. I, I still live it down that I missed Lethal to be six and out of PTQ. <laughs> I had Lethal on the board for, like, three turns and then eventually lost. That's, that's awful. Yeah, it was really bad. Um, the, the one lesson that I've, I've learned from playing Affinity is specifically about Spellskite is that uh, you can redirect the modular counters from Arcbound Ravager. So if you sacrifice your Arcbound Ravager to put counters on something, they can change the target to Spellskite. Oh, they can? Yes. Oh, and I it's a legal target. I did not know that. However, Arcbound Ravager is a May. So they can change the target, and then you just choose, and then not, you to. choose not to. That's interesting. But I at the same time, you just you lose your Archive Ravager. Yeah. So, but at least they don't have like a seven seven or seven eleven whatever spell skite. Yep, I've definitely lost games like that. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna take uh, one more quick break, and we'll be back in a few moments. sense that they were seeding them because it's an interesting enough card that it, gets, it catches your attention. You look at it, you're like, what is this? So, obviously we're on the radio, so you can't see this card, but first I'll read you what it does, and then we'll kind of go over does, does what it, it looks a, like. Does it have a translated name? Uh, yes, it's called Dusk and Dawn. It's a split card. Like the old split cards, and they just decided not to design it in that fashion. Um, so, the top half of the card says it's two and a white, two a white and a white. Um, destroy all, it's a sorcery, destroy all creatures with power greater, power greater or equal to three. So, you play it, anything bigger than three power dies. Straightforward enough. Is, is three white white? So it's, it's tossed two, in... two white white. Oh, two white white. Okay, so it's, it's tossed in like, like rapid fire. Okay. Yes. It's a dumbed down rapid fire, basically. Um, then Dawn, the second half of the card, which we'll explain how it's templated in a second, but it has a mechanic called Aftermath, and it says, cast a spell, the mechanic is cast a spell only from your graveyard, then exile it. So basically, the second half of these cards with Aftermath have, are like a flashback cost, but the flashback does something different than what the yeah. top part of the card and says. And ba basically, they, they can only be cast from the graveyard, which yeah. kind of explains the bad templating, yeah, but um, not really. So what it does is it returns all creature cards with power less than or equal to two from your graveyard to your hand. So whatever the card, the card seems pretty good. Does it does it have the same cost on that? Oh, uh, it's it's three it's three white white for that one. So it's five for that. Okay. So like you turn four, you would play it and then turn five back. Sure, I'm, I'm sure that most of the cards with uh, with aftermath are going to be templated like that. Yeah, it's similar. A, a cost and then one more, one more, two more. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the way this card is templated is the top half looks like a normal magic card. The bottom half <laughs> is just rotated ninety degrees. <laughs> ninety degrees on the bottom half of the card. This this aftermath effect. It, it's basically if they took a normal magic card and mixed it with a with an old split card. Uh huh. Yeah. It's just the bottom half is a split card, and then the top half is just a normal magic card. It just it looks so awful. Uh, yeah. If you if you are listening and want to see what this looks like, go on to Mythic Spoiler and just hit the newest spoiler. It's the top one. Um, it's definitely strange. Uh, I don't understand why. 
they've calculated like this and not calculated as very similar. So it, can't, it couldn't just be a flashback cost almost. Yeah, I mean, it could have been a flashback cost or it could have been, they could have designed it as a split card with just the templating somewhere in the in the card text say, this card can only be tapped from your graveyard. Um, yeah, I think that the problem with that is that people get confused with a fuse card. I mean, obviously, like, most competitive players would understand how it works and everything, and if you understand the mechanics of the game, you get how it works, but if someone's explained to them how a fuse card works, and then this card doesn't do the same thing, but it looks exactly the same, it could cause problems. So I think they're looking at it from, like, a newer player standpoint, that it could be an issue, but at the same time, I don't think it would be that big of a problem. Yeah, fair, but specifically the fuse cards say fuse at the bottom. Yeah. And, and have the, the reminder text that lets you tap both. Tap both at the same time. So I, I don't think it's a player issue. I really don't know what it is, if, yeah. if it's a confirmed card, but I mean, it's so ugly. <laughs> yeah. The card looks playable. I mean, um, yeah, for playability's sake, the having a wrath at two white white seems fine. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't deal with vehicles, which is the aggressive function of the format right now. So that, that's kind of my issue, is that even the even the wrath we have now doesn't get played because they have yeah. like two of them, two um, or three of them. I think, well, I was trying to figure out the other day when I saw this, what kind of deck this would be played in. Obviously, we don't have the full, not, not even close to the full object for it. This is the only card we've seen. Um, but a lot of the stuff from the blue-white flash shell is two power. So it would be interesting to see like a deck with this card and Stealth of Spirit and Spellcoiler, and if they happen to unban Reflector Mage, hopefully, it would be, that deck, that, that deck could be sweet. And I would be so on board with that. But um, I guess it all depends on what kind of shell comes out of Omnitech for it, because those two cards alone won't make this card good. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the card is just very weirdly designed. Yeah. It kind of implies that it wants you to be playing creatures. One, it kind of implies that it wants you to be playing small creatures that won't die to the wrath, but that you can bring back. So, I, I can see it as sort of a, a sideboard card. Like, it, it would be something that Mardu would bring in against green-black players. Although, the current green-black decks, most of the creatures wouldn't die to this card anyway. So, yeah, I, kind of strange. Uh, it really does depend on how the format ends up after them. Yeah, I was I really hoping so. that we would get a rat that dealt with vehicles, because we need one. Yeah, that would be... Destroy all creatures and artifacts. <laughs> would be pretty sweet. Or even just destroy all creatures and vehicles. I don't know. The, the problem is they won't, they won't print it like that because it's it's uh, not like a vehicle block, you know? Like, crew is like a mechanic for sure. the block. So I just I think they would they would just template it as destroy all creatures and Sure. Are, are vehicles not uh, an evergreen? I don't believe so, no. I, I wouldn't see them doing that because... They've caused so many problems. <laughs> like, Fair. I can't see them. You know what I mean? All like the best cards in each of the formats so far have been. Well, some of the best cards have been vehicles. So, I mean, it could be. I'm not positive. I'm pretty sure it wasn't an evergreen thing. Sure. I, I guess that. I guess that makes sense. It just it seems trivial to include vehicles as a subtype of of, art, of like artifacts. Yeah. Like equipment and whatever. Yeah. I guess I see what you're saying. I do understand if they don't want to put the word. If they, if they had vehicles in the block, it would be okay to do that, but if it's just not. Yeah, because some, a, a new player would pick up the card and say, what's, what's, the, vehicle? what's the vehicle? <laughs> Let me tell you back in my day. <laughs> pull, out, pull out all the, the foil uh, smokers' coppers and oh no. stash away. Oh no. <laughs> um, Listen here, kiddo. Yeah. <laughs> we used to be able to make decisions. <laughs> Wizards said no. Oh, man. I miss smokers' copter. We were gonna buy. <laughs> um, we were, we were we were thinking about buying like a hundred smugglers copters and hoping to get on man on Monday, like at the GP, because oh we found a vendor that had a bunch of them for like and they, they wanted like a dollar each for them, and we were really close to doing it. Thank God we didn't. Which <laughs> <laughs> um, just would have been such a bad idea. But it would have been sweet if we got a man and made a bunch of money, but it was just not worth it. Um, we're starting around our time here. I wanted to give a quick shout out to Medusa's uh, Medusa's Game Store. Uh, on What's the name of the street? 
across from the mall in Flatford. Smithfield Boulevard. Um, it's 59 Smithfield Boulevard in Flatford. Um, uh, under new ownership and just recently renovated. Opens today at 3.30 for the first time since the renovation. Um, also, uh, Friday night, there will be FNM at 6 o'clock, standard. Uh, new addition at 7.30, there will be modern FNM. So if you decide to play standard and do terrible, you'll play modern. So I'll be playing for the format on Friday night. <laughs> 